0: Kia ora and haere mai to the Thinking Matters podcast, I'm Michelle Englehart and
1: I'm Rowan Locke.
0: We are super excited about our guest today. Dave Mann is the founder and director of Shining Lights Trust, but you may know him better through the Hope Project. I'm sure most Kiwis have received a Hope Project book booklet in their mail over the past several years. Like us, Dave is based here in sunny Tauranga with his wife, Heather, and their children. Dave is a visionary who has the dual gifts of also being a person of action. He responds to the vision the Lord gives him and he jumps into action. And because of this, non-Christians throughout our country have been blessed with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as well as the rich Christian history embedded in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Well, welcome, Dave. It's such a um honour to have you with us this morning. We've been really looking forward to this podcast with you. And um, we have introduced you, but I'd just love you to share with our listeners and viewers your testimony of how you actually came to Christ.
2: Oh, kia ora Michelle, Kia ora Rowan. Um, great to be here. For me, very, very simple. Um, I grew up in a home that uh, was not following uh, the Christian faith. Um, the, there were some challenges within the home shall we say uh, not really at liberty to talk about the details of that kind of stuff these days but uh in the midst of that my mum started to look for hope and so she started going to a church and connected with god and she changed and uh, very simply that the way that i've put it across the years is that it's like there was sunshine that came into her eyes and i knew whatever she had i needed to have that that was real she had risen somehow above the circumstances that we lived with and so that was it um i was 11 years of age when I saw that, my mum became the authority on all matters related to God and religion, and I immediately started telling other people about this reality that I had connected with. Um, you know, basically repeating anything my mum told me about God, because I knew that I knew that I knew that it was real. So um, I have, um, I've never looked back. I couldn't look back. I still remember what I felt like before I became a Christian. In fact, recently I was given a video um, of a musical I was in and it was prior to that time and I looked at myself and I could instantly feel what I felt like. I could feel my psychology before coming to this uh, amazing revelation there was a God who existed who loved me in that experience and I couldn't watch the video. Uh, there is, a, It's like light and darkness, the difference. Um, so yeah, I'm forever grateful.
0: Oh, that's powerful. Was there an actual moment that you actually remember that you Um, came to where you suddenly thought actually this is it for me or was it a gradual thing that happened over that time it must have been it must
2: have been somewhere in that time Mm. Uh, I think at age 11 you're still a, a little bit like a child you're at that verge of adulthood you know in the transition so no I don't remember a specific moment I do remember three years later I went to a Christian camp and the Holy Spirit started to move through the room and I didn't know anything about a holy spirit or anything like that so it seemed a bit weird people started crying for no reason which seemed pretty silly Uh, and then for no explainable reason I started to cry and I didn't cry um that was uh that, that had finished in my childhood years crying changes nothing and here I am crying and had this amazing experience of God's love and I'd say that's a point where you know I I really I guess I felt a a passion for those who don't know Christ I began to feel an empathy for them. And I went back to my room at the camp, I was on a top bunk. And I don't know, I was wired. I had been touched by the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And I looked at the ceiling. And for the first time in my life, I imagined all of my friends before me, but I knew what to say. Uh, so my vocabulary, my words were somehow empowered, I was able to speak a passion from the heart. And so Um, If there was a moment where I remember a turn, that would be it. But I had embraced the faith about three years prior.
0: Excellent. So, you know, as you were journeying through as a Christian, particularly through your teens, etc., did you feel the call of God on your life at that time? You know, obviously the call of God that you're living out now. Did you feel that?
2: um... Yeah, I mean, yes, it would be the answer. But I think to say to feel the call of God kind of puts the onus... Mm -hmm almost into a spiritual experience, I would say within the within the journey, I came to a place where there was nothing else I wanted to do, except to help people discover a reality that I had discovered. So by age 14, I'd already decided that there was nothing I wanted to do except being in Christian ministry. And I was blessed to have a friend who'd come to faith. Um, I told him everything my mum had said, and he gave his life to Christ at a Youth for Christ rally a while later. And so together, we both had this conviction, there's nothing else we want to do except to help make christ known so yeah age 14 onwards and no one would believe you when you're a 14 year old saying something like that but but it was sincere and both of us have followed that through
0: that's incredible amazing so um with your mum like how how does she feel about you and your ministry now i don't know I, (laughs) i
2: guess i guess she's pretty pleased yeah um yeah, she's she's not a person of that many words.
0: Right. Um,
2: but uh, I love my mum and my mum loves me, so yep. that is what it is. And it is. Uh, no, she I'm sure she's uh, very pleased and very proud. Yeah.
0: And so obviously, your wife Heather is a really instrumental part of your ministry as well. Um, can you tell us a little bit how you met her? And we're trying to find out a oh, bit she... more about Dave Mann. Yeah, yeah,
2: these <laughs> are the stories. Um, uh, she's my younger sister's friend. So, three years my younger. So, she was just a, a little girl who used to run around here and there. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, um, there was a day where I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, how's she been standing in front of you your whole life? So, I chased her for five years wow. and she wasn't um, wasn't at all interested. Uh, and then the Lord finally revealed to her that I was totally awesome. So, she <laughs> changed her mind <laughs> <laughs> for five years. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. Playing the long game. That, that's that, yeah. Yeah,
0: playing the long <laughs> game. Good on earth. <laughs> so the both of you, um, obviously, you've done so much together. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey together in ministry?
2: Yeah, well, for me, I went straight from um, school to Law College, Bible College to New Zealand, and I uh, studied theology for three years. And then I um, you know, did outreach ministry in New Zealand about eight years. Uh, I then moved to be pastor in a church in Singapore, and that's when, uh, a year after I had left, that's when Heather, you know, suddenly had the revelation that I was amazing and maybe she should pay attention to these this five years of pursuit. Um, so she eventually got a job over there and moved over. So um, so she joined me there. So she probably had seven years uh, of my nine years um, over there in Singapore. So yeah, um, that was in a, in a larger church. It was an amazing experience, many friends. And then uh, I guess the decision to live there could say was my decision and she followed me Mm -hmm. uh, because I'd felt a very clear sense of call to that. Uh, From that point on, whatever we did had to be our decision together. So uh, as we sought the Lord, we uh, we thought we were going to go into mission work. Um, She'd be very good at actually helping people hands-on, whereas I'm good at I guess, leadership managerial stuff. Uh, but very strange, we suddenly felt we were being turned to a, to a country called New Zealand, which we knew really, really well because that's where we came from. Mm. So that clear, I guess that sense of call became clearer and clearer until I reached a point where I would be disobedient if I didn't have my resignation on, uh, on the job that I had. So so we, we both had that sense of conviction to come back and uh, the ministry in New Zealand last um, 11 years um, followed that.
0: Yes so do you feel that the time that you spent in Singapore were God was training you for where you are now was there absolutely yeah yeah
2: yeah I mean I, I, I had an interesting conversation with uh, a, a few people who have come back and attempted national things in New Zealand and interestingly most of them had lived overseas prior so they they see a different perspective I guess what you consider to be big when you live in a nation of five million people spread out across this massive geography we have, you know, uh, you consider something to be big. But if you go overseas and live in a different environment, you suddenly realize that the thing that we think is big here is small somewhere else. And so your whole, um, the way that you perceive scale and size and possibilities can be changed by seeing something different. So that changed. I I think the key thing that changed for me, because I've met a few people who've done things in New Zealand historically, and and that, that pattern is the same. The thing that really changed for me is that the Lord used my time in Singapore to break me. So I had five years of very fruitful ministry, and it was it was truly wonderful. But then some things from family life began to come to a head. And that really wrecked a number of people's lives, um, you know, from our upbringing. And in the midst of that, there ended up being some challenges within the church, certainly from my perspective, there were. and. So I felt undermined, you could say, in the work environment, but then in the emotional environment related to upbringing, that went into absolute chaos. And there was brokenness off the charts for for pretty much every person connected. So I had this breaking point where this God who had saved me, who I trusted implicitly, it felt to me like he suddenly abandoned me. And I'm like, How can this be? So here I am preaching every week. In fact, I do an average of six different messages per month. And it was, um, I guess, like an American Baptist type of DNA. So a little bit of the things of the spirit, but very word centered. So you Mm. had to do solid messages. And here I am preaching about this God I really do love, but there was something in my psychology that said, no, no, that God's abandoned you. And that led me to a real emotional breaking point. So I had six years of just pure suffering that followed that through into the returning time into New Zealand trying to get my psychology out of that, intense anxiety and a feeling of betrayal and abandonment by a God who hadn't answered my prayers or done as I expected and I, I got to a crunch point because I was pretty, felt pretty rotten during that where I'm in bed waking up one morning I'm dragging my feet to the office every day and I looked at it and I thought well Lord, what is all of this about and I suddenly thought this is what it's about. I have no reason to go to the office. I feel undermined. I'm not being fruitful. We've seen growth. We're now losing people under my watch because of the way things have been set up. Uh, I'm not achieving the redeeming of my wider family and things getting better, which is what I prayed for and believed for. So what am I going to do today? Well, I'm gonna go to the office and I'm gonna serve the Lord because that's what he calls me to, even though it would be ineffective. It was the breaking of all ambition within me that I think was the point. And so with that, that breaking of ambition, uh, there the, um, was a pastor in the church I really looked up to, and he, he talked about having nothing to gain, nothing to lose, you know, nothing to hide, nothing to fear, coming to that place of absolute surrender. And so I don't think any of us are ever absolutely surrendered. But, but I reached through that breaking a, a new level of surrender uh, where the ambition that was still within me just got demolished. And I had to be able to serve every day knowing I was being ineffective. Uh, by comparative standards. So when it came to attempting things in New Zealand and taking risks and risking finance and risking whatever else it was, I'd already lost all of that. I really didn't expect to live to see 40. I, I got pretty um, unhealthy in that period. I uh, was hospitalized a few times and various things. So um, that defeat, I'll never be the same again. There was a, a simple joy and exuberance to the simple faith with which I trusted God through those teenage years and 20s and into my 30s. I have a different faith now with a God that I can't explain in a whole lot more areas where I thought I could explain them earlier in my life. So so it's not as exuberant and free like a, like a child, but it's a faith that trusts God at a much, much higher level mm-hmm. uh, with a more unconditional sort of faith And within that, there is a freedom and there is an ability to engage in things that have a much higher level of risk and cost to them, counting the cost, knowing that we could lose a whole lot of things, but really being able to sleep perfectly well every single night because I don't carry any of that because that really doesn't matter. So when it came to the crunch times of trying to get Hope Project started, I really didn't lose sleep. Whereas I think had I not had that breaking point in Singapore, I would have been losing so much sleep that we would have pulled the plug so long story but
0: that's incredible it was
2: it was important it was about emotionally and psychologically realigning the way I was wired wow
0: yeah because it makes me makes I've always wondered how what drove you because you're so you've done so much since you've been back in the country and um, that kind of explains a lot about how you are able to take those risks that you do take with your ministry so let's talk about your ministry, the Shining Lights Trust, and particularly the Hope Project. Could you share with our viewers and listeners a little bit about what you do? Because I think most people will be aware of these booklets that. Oh, you're not on the screen. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> That's
0: yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the booklets that turn up in our letterboxes boxes around the country, and um, ha- are such powerful little. Um, the testimonies and the history and the gospel are all in there. Um, can you share a bit about what made you start that, and um, yeah, where, how it's going?
2: Yeah, well, the sense of call when we came back to New Zealand was to look at the outreaching efforts of the New Zealand church as a whole. Um, Yeah, a a sense of call to find the gaps and to plug those. So, um, one of the gaps was that the New Zealand church as a whole hadn't had an every home project for about 30 years. So, I managed to find five times within our history of the last sort of, um, let's say, 80 years where people have attempted to get something of the gospel to each home throughout the country. Uh, Of course, in today's age you wouldn't just do something with paper no. you'd do multimedia integrated which is what the hope project is but i was indignant that that hadn't happened um, the freedoms of speech and religion are a case of use it or lose it yes. so from a strategic point of view i could see that the church as a whole in new zealand was really failing in something there hmm. to protect its space to engage in the public square to keep permission to keep christ within christmas and easter to protect the space to be able to share our messages by actually sharing them. Um, if we don't do that, then the idea that religion is supposed to be in the private world only would become cultural-wide and then enforced, and, and then we wouldn't even be allowed to speak, which isn't too far off where it was, to be honest. So, yeah, so uh, we've we've initiated, uh, you know, I don't know, probably 15 or 20 things in the last 11 years. And the goal has always been to give the initiative to an existing organization to help rebirth their ministry uh, to a different level or back to where they originally started. So uh, Hope Project was offered to three different organisations and we weren't able to convince any of them to take it. Uh, There's one of those in particular that really, actually there's two of them that should have taken it, I think, and their ministries would be significant and known today and it would have taken their ministries back to a whole new level of life. And there were various uh, meetings and conversations and with one of those we got to a point where it really looked like they would take it and do it and i'd offered to serve them for free for three years uh, to help it to happen um but i went into the office which was downstairs at our house one day and as i um, picked up something off a little table I-, I heard a whisper in my ear they're not going to do it oh. and mm. there was no one else around i think it's the only time i've ever heard an audible type of voice but it's like, is that, is that the devil? Is that my, <laughs> why mind going crazy? Or was that the Lord speaking? They're not going to do it. And I worked out, uh, I believe the Lord was saying, that organisation who look exactly like they're about to do this aren't going to do it. And one month later that came about. So that gave me a month to mentally prepare. And um, we'd, I'd connected with a few leaders who had a national perspective and their advice very quickly was, well, you're going to run out of time if 2014 is going to be the start of it. So you need to start a charitable trust. So, so that's how Hope Project came about. I didn't intend it to be in our lap. I didn't intend the Shining Lights Trust to ever exist. Right. Um, but uh, maybe the Lord had a purpose within that. So, yeah, we've done seven thus far. The eighth is coming up this year. Uh, integrated uh, media efforts. That The Easter effort uh, includes television, web, which is having fantastic and growing engagement. And then the Booklets to Homes, which is volunteer based probably in 90 cities and towns this coming year across the nation. Um, Hope Project Christmas is a different strategy. It's simply trying to protect that space by encouraging God's people to return nativity scenes to public view by any and every means, because the nativity scene is a platform for the uh, Christmas story. And then Hope Project Family uh, is the third one we've been saying for years we want to do. So we'll have phase one of that testing it out in tauranga In fact, next year and oh, nice. around about September, it'll be rebranded uh, from that name before then. Trying to Tell stories and take them to the public square reflecting what churches are doing to help people at the grassroots because as as the church we're a kind of a, a marketing disaster <laughs> because we're all factioned uh, into denominations, mm. which yes. means we have no coordination for our brand, which is Jesus. Um, so our negative stories are told regularly our positive stories aren't told. Right. that makes no sense. we we spend probably a couple of hundred million dollars per year. we have about eight hundred thousand people. Attending church maybe once a month, according to McCrindle and Peter Lynam's research separately, about the same number, 16% of the nation. Um, we really are a marketing disaster. <laughs> so, I hope Project Family, which will be rebranded, is to try and begin to counter that also by just telling the stories that public media currently won't tell to to change the perspectives of New Zealanders, because at the moment, uh, Christians, man, they're, they're, the, they're the abusers, yeah. you know, they the old archaic, judgmental, intolerant group, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, that's full of paedophiles who have abused children, you know, mm-hmm. in hostels and homes for, for decades. Mm-hmm. So so that is increasingly becoming the very real sentiment of the public because they only hear the negative. So the, the way to counter that is to actually open our mouths and talk. It's really simple. Yeah. Tell stories. So, um yeah. yeah, so that's the, that's one of our playing spaces.
0: Oh, that's excellent. That's a um, great initiative to hear about because, um, yeah, the, that space is definitely ready and waiting, yeah. <laughs> really.
2: Yeah.
0: And um, we'll put all the details to um, your ministry um, in our show notes as well so people can link through. I'm sure many people would have already heard about you, but, um, yeah, it's a really important ministry and I can't um, – oh, I just can't promote it enough because – we've got this amazing thing going out to homes throughout the country um, through social media and through the booklets. And the booklets are so powerful, the stories and the testimonies in there. Um, we should be sharing them everywhere, basically. So I try yeah, to do that myself. Think, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. and what, one of the things that's shown, I think, is that the church is pretty amazing too. Yes. yeah. Like God's church is more united than we think it is. So I think we've measured unity as uniformity for a long time mm. so if everybody comes together in one meeting we think we're united and if that group don't join all oh, they're, they're not not in unity with us um unity isn't attendance together we're united without even meeting you know we love the same god we read the same bible we're on the same mission uh, when it comes to something practical that we could do together that's sensible and simple and makes sense you know um god's church has been ready to go for a walk to pray along streets delivering booklets to letter boxes and just consider the commonality of that from Kaitaia down to Invercargill with pastors groups you know the unity structures of each city and town being willing and 95 you know percent of places just to pick that up and just like that they can achieve it together easily so yeah. um i think hope project has helped to actually draw out some of the positive that exists there that hasn't been seen and maybe to catalyze through that conversations as well that are helping other people who initiate to, to get a better platform yeah
0: um do you have what are the numbers as far as how many booklets tend to go out each year because that's people delivering them to yeah that's right yeah well i mean
2: uh the number of eligible letter boxes excluding those circulars is 1.39 million now so it goes up very very slowly um the number that are delivered by volunteers is around about 1.1 million of the 1.39 million Uh, we then print around about it's Probably nearly 200,000 extra booklets that are made available to churches, uh, and so we actually send some automatically to each church just in a small number. So each church member has one or two if they want them, or for the food bank parcels or the whatever else it is, give it to the mainly music months.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so there's in round figures another 160 000 to 200,000 that could given out um, by churches. Yeah.
0: That's some big numbers. That's excellent. Yeah, the
2: Lord is good. God's people are amazing.
0: They are. They are. And do you find each year that more people are sort of expecting it now? And because you've been going for quite a while.
2: Yeah, with the public, interestingly, it has become a recognized brand. Mm. So people who go out, for example, to initiate conversations about faith on the streets will often have people say, oh, I love those booklets. Wait a minute, I've got that one and they'll look through to find one that they think they haven't got you know that sort of thing so yeah because it's got a tone that's it's got a clarity about the christian faith but it's got a tone based around storytelling um, and it's gentle and respectful for example the booklets don't actually say christianity is true the booklets say christians believe christianity is true and so when statements about the faith begin to be made you'll you'll find little words in there like and this is why christians believe dot 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 Mm because even an atheist therefore agrees with the premise of our booklet yes that is what Christians believe Mm. so it doesn't offend the sensitivity so I think that tone has made it palatable for a lot of people and I've seen atheists online and forums discussing how to end our work uh, but then other atheists have actually defended it saying they have the legal right to do this uh, but also we have to accept this is surely the best of a bad thing Mm. you know at least the tone of what they do is respectful
0: yes
2: and has certain boundaries to it so so yeah, this um, yeah the brand is recognised. I don't know how many more years it'll keep going for. We'll just yeah. keep going for as long as the Lord leaves that door open. Yeah. Uh, one day that may not be open. I don't know.
0: Yeah. But um. No, it's yeah. a bit, the, I, I love what I love about them as well is I don't I don't know about tracks from the past that used to be given out that were kind of a little bit cringy and a bit embarrassing. So um, these are such high quality. And they're visually yeah. stunning and interesting so even if you didn't know what it was you'd want to open it up and have a look because it's just the quality of them is so so high as yeah, well cheers. so you actually <laughs> feel proud of putting that into someone's ear of because it's not cringy and it's yeah.
2: yeah 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 one of one of the other areas i tried to do some initiating and when we came back was actually the creation of other tracks because yeah. i i um, actually in, in singapore one day i grabbed the tracks that we had and made available in the church and I took them for a I was on a train every day and so I took them on the train and actually read them you know in there with people standing here and here as you do uh, over there. And I didn't like them mm. I thought if I'm a secular-minded I was thinking of New Zealand I was a secular-minded New Zealander this is just religious gobbledygook telling me someone's version of the truth as if their version of the truth is right and they're telling me I'm wrong and I uh, just thought uh, man what a load of rubbish uh, some of it was on cheap paper uh, the graphic design was, was something that was just really, you know, yeah. a, a few decades behind. I and and, I, and that's where I just thought, actually, that's a problem that can be fixed. So yeah, so I created a series actually of six different tracks that tried to change that. But I think by that point in time, a culture of giving out little tracks like that, I, I think that day has probably passed. Mm-hmm. Um, The booklet that's more like a mini-magazine with a variety of stories has more appeal today. So so that was a very expensive experiment. I lost a lot of money on that one. (laughs) And in the end, the majority of those actually got sent to a mission conference overseas where people could give a a koha uh, for taking them. And I had tens of thousands of the the tracks taken for use, which is great. And the total return was $5. Oh, okay. oh, well, <laughs> only one person gave something, <laughs> which is fine. They got used. Yeah. Just,
0: yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Yeah, no, I, I love them. I think they're great. Um, so with regard to our culture in New Zealand at the moment, um, have you seen over the past seven years things change a little? As in... People becoming less aware oh. of the biblical, so they those original tracts that had a lot of biblical talk in them, they wouldn't necessarily understand today, um, which is po- possibly what you're saying.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. the the whole postmodern thing, the rejection of the idea of an actual truth, you know, that was coming into our culture from the early 90s or late 80s onward. So that's well and truly saturated our culture today if you have a debate with someone on a topic you could present 10 reasons why their belief isn't true they won't intelligently engage with any of your arguments and they'll come back with a whole lot of different things they say and they believe whether it's actually rational or not so so rationality has truly left the house in our culture and Mm -hmm. we no longer train people in our schools to be thinking individuals who understand the whole concept of an argument and that an argument has to engage with the opposite argument and if you say this is true but someone points out this which shows that that isn't true then you have to adjust your position only unless you can find something else that validates why that is wrong and something else might make your truth superior your, your idea superior but you can't just present that without ever engaging with that. and mm. we've got a culture now that does so so rationality's left the house um yeah so story based i think is important and in social media if you play with trying to tell people what's true or actually you play from an apologetics vantage point um generally that will lead to argumentation and polarization and it won't work from an outreach point of view it's still important that we present the arguments because we actually have a rational faith Mm. so that's an essential part of the mix but when we really want to connect with a person we've got to get to a point where we say look for all the arguments you know fantastic that's great. But, you know, for me, at the end of the day, I don't believe because someone presented me with a rational argument. No. Uh, I believe because, to quote, from the scriptures, I tasted the Lord and I discovered he was good. Yes. I discovered a reality that surpasses anything else that I've ever experienced. And so um, testimony and story, they still cut through. Our culture is changing at lightning pace. Absolute lightning pace. Yes. Your question yes. is intriguing. You know, I wrote in the book, uh, In One Spirit's, um five trends, I think it was that I see working against the hopes of the wider Christian church, three trends that are working for it, and from a strategic point of view, the church as a whole in New Zealand needs to understand those three trends and to leverage them for all that they're worth, because some of them can counter those ones. Um, But in the mix of that, we're a subset of a global village. Uh, I think sovereignty of nations is being undermined. It's a big statement. But I think the sovereignty of nations is being undermined by by the ambitions being openly stated on some of these global platforms, the UN, the World Economic Forum, you know, um, all of this sort of stuff. So um, we're in a hugely changing environment. Um, I think we need to, as a strategy, we need to tell stories. Yes. And it's not just any story, it's gotta be testimony about what the Lord has done, but it only works if it comes from a heart that genuinely feels it. We've got to feel, and comprehend afresh what is profound and what is amazing god came to earth as a child wow yeah you know my hand i don't know if you've seen the terminator you know they've got the mechanical hands that works in the movie you know it crawls along the ground like this mm-hmm. look at all of the joints that are necessary for that mechanical hand to work and then consider the biology of my hand with broken bones i've had in the wrist here which are able to heal themselves and all the tendons and the, the you know hundreds of muscles that are needed for that to happen that doesn't happen by mistake and and it's that appreciation of the profound that I think puts excitement in the heart that makes the story interesting that the key to being interesting is to be interested the key to being compelling is to be compelled and so I think it's as we get closer to Christ we need to be more awake and alive and more fully human in which case we're more in awe and amazed by the things that we see in which case we speak with greater authenticity which in this day and age authenticity rules the roost we speak with greater authority and there is a cut through so it's that out of the overflow of the heart of the mouth speaks it's that that sincerity and i think no matter the cultural changes that always works um so i think that's becoming pretty important because truth is becoming i was almost going to say an irrelevance uh, obviously truth matters but rationality has truly left the house in, in our in our culture yeah. people are told what to believe and they're a free-thinking individual if they believe what they're told to believe by the majority consensus or those who are in power and, and that's got a remarkable truth to it. That those those sentences i just gave yes. uh, which is tragic but but that is our reality within which we witness and, and this is where i think evangelism is shifting back from the the great evangelists who speak back to the local church And this is where pastors, church leaders, need to take responsibility for the mission of the church. And this is where, when we look at where people are coming to faith, no longer in the big outreach meetings, like became the cultural pattern in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. It's now inside the local churches as the result of simple explanations of what Christ has done, combined with the evidence that it's true, which is called the word of our testimony. What's the Lord done in your life? And um, so, as much as we begin to appreciate afresh that story, I think we refine our authority and our platform.
0: Yeah, it's so true. That's why we like to start with um, whoever, whichever guests we have on our on our podcast. We actually want to hear their testimony because they're so powerful. And we're an mm-hmm. apologetics ministry. We deal with the intellectual, with the evidences. Yeah. But then to have the people that are working in that space share the power of the, of what God has done in their lives. They're often
1: supernatural They're really experiences of coming to fail. Yeah,
0: yeah just incredibly powerful. And yeah. um, that is a, an intense apologetic, really. That's As, really showing that. that you
2: know, yeah, well, if we look at Peter in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 3, Peter preaches the gospel twice. And by the old measure, the gospel is supposed to be telling people, you know, a certain truth. And if you've communicated those truths, you've communicated the gospel. Well, take a look at Peter failing in his presentation of the gospel. He doesn't even explain the existence of God because the culture assumed it. He doesn't even explain really sin that separates us from God because his culture assumed it. And if you look at where he gives the majority of his time as to the evidences that point to this message about Jesus being true, it's the miracle, a man who's been prayed for and has been miraculously healed. It's the evidence of prophecy, which a Jewish audience understood, therefore referring to the scriptures which Christ had fulfilled. So in our communication, there is a core truth that we have to communicate. But the apologetics it needs to overcome the Bible's a load of rubbish, mm-hmm. say a few things that help a person appreciate why that might not be the case. But then in wisdom, we move from the, I guess the, the, the rational apologetics to the experiential apologetics this actually works. Have we studied culture? Have we studied history and seen the transforming power of Christ and the gospel through his people bringing us our freedoms of speech and religion, hmm. bringing us the end of slavery and the equality of races and the equality of genders, the silly idea of education for all because we assume all people to be equal and whatever else and health care for all. And you know, our concepts of human rights, the separation of powers and government, which is a, a key principle supporting our democratic forms of government, Every one of those things is explicitly from the influence of Christ. And I think that's part of our apologetic argument and important because um, that's actually testimony. It's the testimony of what God did in history. Yeah.
0: Hmm. And that's pretty much everything that, that are in these booklets. That, yeah, basically. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And
2: that's of them. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. Right.
0: And the thing is that the culture now, particularly in New Zealand, we were quite Christian, you know, 10, 15 years ago, but now not so much. So you've got whole generations of children growing up not actually having any understanding of what the Bible even is or what is contained within it. So what you're doing is is really important. Um, Yeah, and and if I can just
2: throw into that, that's why the story is so phenomenally important because I watched a school prize giving online yesterday because no parent is allowed to attend in COVID well. Um, Fantastic prize giving. The school, the way they did, it was truly professional. It was very, very well done made the students feel good I really applaud them I felt really sad that there was no prayer genuinely grieved myself that there was no recognition of the God who gave them life and who gave them their values here they are educating even poor children from poor families economically that's never happened in history separate to Christianity catalyzing it here they are talking about their values as a school that we've got to care for each other and understand the other boy, just go live somewhere else for a while that's outside of the Christian influence. Um, Our idea of charity is expressly Christian. And you'll find someone in another culture saying you've got to love others. You'll find someone saying something in every culture. It doesn't mean it's a cultural value. But from Christianity, it's a core cultural value and it is in our society. All the values they expressed were Christianity through and through. The whole way that that was conducted, the whole value system they sit inside, the whole cup, the whole bowl that they're living within is expressly Christian. And they do that this without a single piece of awareness that it is, and without a single mention of the God who gave them those freedoms and gave them that education and the system and the charity and the values and all of that. So, um, yeah, yeah we, we definitely have work to do.
0: It doesn't take too many generations to forget where the goodness right. that we have in our culture actually came from, and that seems to be yeah. where we are right now. Um, do you have a lot of hope for New Zealand?
1: <laughs> it's a long pause. It's a long pause from the so, man who produces a so book for a hope for all.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I have I have every hope when it comes to to knowing a God who can be depended on mm. in a world where things can go crazy. Yes. I think the church through COVID land is, is hopefully rediscovering itself. Um, churches are doing spectacularly if we look at it. We've got churches going to, to, to Vax only services uh, and non-Vax services or providing for them. We've got others saying, no, that division isn't going to sit with us and they're only doing no Vax for everybody and they're doing multiple services. But the principles by which every church is doing it are the same. We're not going to divide our people, Mm. right? I mean, if you're doing two services, you probably had two services already. It doesn't have to be viewed as division. Is there a judgment or a prejudice? So so we're not going to divide our people and we are by some means going to care for everyone. I am seeing those principles in every community and where people struggle and begin to be too polarized in a view and become critical. I'm seeing God's people rallying around to try and give perspectives by which we give grace to one another. I think the church is actually shining Yes. Fantastically. Uh, the, the unity of our pastors groups is at a different level to five years ago, mm. in, in my view. And, and we've done a lot of travel nationally eight times now to connect with pastors groups right through the country, giving months to travel every time. Uh, we're having conversations about the purpose and function of pastors groups today that I would say literally were not possible five years ago because I attended them. Uh, because we had a, a view of our, our church unity is all about relationship. And that's just um that's not true. It is about relationship, but it should be relationship that leads to prayer. So we get to the fundamental question: what could we do together that we can't do apart? Mm. Our unity is positional in the sense that we're united because we love the same God and we're united without meeting. But there should be a functionality to it. God wants us to engage in the city. So our, our unity in this nation, in the church, is really changing. When you look at outreach equipping, it was Saturday seminars and How to share the gospel only 10 years ago and no one wanted to attend the seminars including the pastors because they might then be accosted to go and accost some stranger on the street to tell them the truth yeah today it is pastors taking responsibility to build an outreach and culture through the pulpit the small group and hopefully the youth group talking about the conversational skills of jesus about teamwork and different giftings being released to connect and connect the gospel with a much broader picture owned by the church feeling that we're now all a part of this together That's a national change in the last decade. So that the church is being, I think, profoundly repositioned to engage more sensibly in its mission. Um, There's huge hope for the church. Is there hope for our nation? Which I think was the question, which is why I'm sort of, my goodness. I think we said as a subset of international things and how that plays out is really yet to be seen. There is definitely a international socialistic bent uh, in the political sphere. We have leading people like Prince Charles and his astounding speech at the, uh, the Global Climate Summit recently, basically talking about the need for international powers that are greater than governments and the governments really to, to become subservient to a ruling power to enforce things upon the people for your good. And that is directly what socialism is about. Give me the power because I will make your life better if mm-hmm. you do. It's a power swap until I have all the power and you don't and, and you will all become equal because I'm here for your equality. but. Mm-hmm socialism and history we become equal in our suffering not equal in our freedom and prosperity so these are international trends and whether or not the spirit of freedom and an understanding of the two thousand years of history and the wars and the the suffering and the fighting and the death that took place to get this freedom uh, is deep enough within our culture to preserve it i think is yet to be seen Mm -hmm. but within that picture if we can say the future of the church the light shines brightest in the darkness Our social media, as one example, had a 601% increase in link clicks year on year. So from 2020 through to 2021, and a link click is the one thing a person can do where, where they, they don't want you to know, they looked at something religious, you know, cause that would be embarrassing. So they don't like it or hate it or comment or share. They I do want it. some, people. they click, yeah. they're interested. There is something in the the fabric of our society that is is hungry for hope and, and hungry for, for something reliable that they can depend upon yes. and uh, i think the church is possibly despite the challenges we're all facing coming into its best day what we really need is the spirit of god alive in each of us so we can take care of our own crap if i can put it that way <laughs> yeah. every one of us has challenges welcome yeah. to life yeah the holy spirit is there to help us to, to look at the eternal and to find hope and to find strength and, and i think that god's churches i think we are shining and, and to the extent that we are able to shine people will see the difference as things get darker yeah. and our best day will come so i have yeah. great hope for the gospel yes. uh in, in new zealand uh in terms of hope for our nation i think we all have to do our part and we're going to have to wait and see yeah
0: definitely yeah. it's interesting times that's for sure and we've said this on other podcasts as well how people are feeling like there's nothing solid to hold on to and Mm. because we're shifting so far away from God um, as a nation and um, I think that's you know I I never look at how many likes we get on our posts either it we you know it's the fact that actually people are reading reading what we've what we've got to say yeah it's interesting to to see
1: how many people have viewed any one of our posts versus how many likes we get so few likes but we can see mm, it's got an audience of a thousand people though and i was just like i just I, that's what
0: i'm yeah. always looking
2: at because and that's all
0: we want we're not there for kudos or anything we just want to plant seeds
2: no exactly so, you know. and, and alpha is another ministry that's had the yes. same pattern as well and yeah. they did a first time where they managed to get a number of churches working together for one advertising campaign in wellington to their different alpha meetings Uh, but also within their data they are seeing sudden changes and this is where i think god's restructuring his church um, from being uh, i'm not against the denominations so you have to be very careful how we talk about this but from the denominational structures which are like these parallel lanes or lines uh, separated to us seeing ourselves again as one body and the denominations purposes accountability training support and there's nothing wrong with those three things so there's, there's truly nothing wrong with denominations they, they can bring blessing to the networks of churches they have but we have to be a united body that fulfills an actual function and that's where i think that understanding a difference between parachurch and church capital c church ministries has become important anything that wasn't a local church was called parachurch as if denominations weren't the same just to point out the ridiculousness of the logic some might have thought about it before so that won't sound ridiculous yet it needs, it needs some thought but they support organizations to a sprawling network of a church of, of churches um, what's parachurch um beside the church to support it, it is the same thing but i think that church ministries are different these are ministries that god has raised up to serve the nation and to serve the united church because a thing called the church capital c has to exist there's one mm. church in the city and town there's one church within the nation and so I think for our outreach we need every individual mobilized, every church small group mobilized, we need every congregation independently mobilized doing what it can and denominations can support those three levels of our voice and our effort but we then need church, capital C church ministries that God has raised up and that can only ever be worked out by individuals discerning who begin to take messages to the city and to the nation and in our day and age where public opinion is influenced exclusively by loud voices at the national and city levels, Mm -hmm. we have to engage the conversation at that level. So ministries like yours and ours and Alpha and Family First and various others are becoming very, very important strategically for the Christian church. Mm -hmm. And I think an understanding that they really are church ministries, uh, not a parachurch that's beside. Uh, They need an esteem. Uh, They need a lot more support than they're getting. Uh, I think that's. I think that appreciation is actually growing
0: naturally.
2: Yes. Uh, certainly, an important uh, part of the picture.
0: Yeah, because mm. we're there to serve the church. I mean, that's what this ministry yeah, is all about. Right. We we, we want to serve the church. We want to support in any way we can, um, Christians and and their faith. So yeah, it's really really important. Yeah.
2: And we're only valuable in as much as what we're doing is useful and good yes mm. so our day might come when we're ineffective when you two are so old and wrinkly we don't even want to look at you Almost anymore there. i
1: already feel and, like that
2: you know, and, yeah and then maybe by god's great grace mm. um thinking matters and shining lights trust will begin to fade away because god will raise up another couple of leaders who really need a fresh container and so a, a, um you know a ministry will start called thinking matters more and maybe another ministry to the a like, Lord, we're even brighter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. And it's these young shining bright shoppers. lights. Yeah. yeah. Shinier
1: lights, lights trust. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah.
2: and, and they'll rise up and then our ministry will fade. And I think yeah. that's what we see in all organisations. That they're, they're there for a season. But the organisation doesn't matter, it's people. Yeah, God's method isn't actually the machinery of our organisations. God's method is men and women who are full of the spirit. Mm. And so therefore that the mandate in capital C Church ministries is only there while the individuals carry that mandate and fulfil it. And I think right now you guys are one of those those ministries like Family First, is, like New Zealand and beyond is, as an example, uh, like is and others. Uh, and we have value only in as much as we continue to do well what we are here to do. Yes. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, and it's not about us. It's yeah. about the Lord and about the people that we serve, That's right. yeah. and and what they need. So we try to be. Yeah, Re- yeah,
1: all well, responsive, responsive to the needs of the church, and that's very much why thinking matters exists. Is just we're not trying to build a church or a ministry per se. It's like we're yeah. all working towards building the church, church. and yeah. you know, wow. and having okay. more more confident Christians. Hence, Confident Christianity Conference. You know, <laughs> who who then feel empowered to actually go and share the gospel. I mean, we're talking yeah. about the importance of apologetics and testimony is like for me the importance of apologetics has always been in how it's empowered me to then want to share my faith because of like i have more certainty that i yes. know what i believe i know what i believe and that i believe that it's really really true, true. Is like and i don't ever very i rarely use any of that apologetics in reaching other people but i use it in reaching myself which empowers me to reach other people so, so. Yeah. yeah
2: and then, then in a conversation that information can be highly relevant removing a barrier to someone considering faith.
1: Yeah. Pre-evangelism is often, you know, it's just like, because for so many people, there's how um, various apologists describe it as like, you know, the door is the final call of evangelism to get into somebody's life. But before they do that, there's so much presuppositions that they have about science about Mm -hmm. christianity about all of those things and getting those obstacles out of the way um paves a way for people to be able to accept god if that's the thing that's blocking it the belief blockers if that's the thing sometimes that's not the thing you know like and and we acknowledge that definitely is just like um we had todd funk on here a couple weeks ago talking about all the reasons why people might reject christianity from a non-apologetic point of view basically and you know through Mm. their personal experiences and there's another big reason which has escaped my mind at the moment but just that there's lots of various um belief blockers in the way and yeah not everything can be uh, solved with arguing no
0: we're not there to (laughs) argue no exactly it's it's like the word argument is has been kind of misrepresented yeah i think um, yeah. people automatically think, you know, get you your fists arguing. out and <laughs> yeah, exactly. raise voices, but yeah. it's not really. anyway. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's different. just. And how about this Is a, a simple articulation? Could Christianity be true? That's where you need apologetics. Is Christianity true? That's where you need testimony and yes. an experience mm. and uh, are both part of the, the journey. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Dave. This has been a great conversation. Um, we always try to finish the, the our time with our guests just asking is is there a book that you're reading at the moment or maybe even one that you've written that you'd like to share with us well
2: yeah I've been reading a book um you might have heard of recently called the Bible
0: ah. it's, um, it's
2: awesome <laughs> it's, it's really really amazing it it's it a bit of a page turner you know, yeah it's a page turner uh, it's, it's it's quite a high selling book I understand uh it, it is sellers. it is an amazing book and I think what's most amazing about it is that the Holy Spirit. Uh, accompanies that book in a way he accompanies no other book. It's profound. It's like a mystery. It doesn't make sense, but I can genuinely read any other book and I can learn things and be amazed. I can open the Bible on something that seems completely irrelevant to where I am today and the Holy Spirit can touch my heart. It is a divine book, separate a separate category on shelf all by itself compared to every other mm. book. And I think in as much as Amongst all of our reading and learning, because i happily recommend 10 or 15 books if you wanted, wanted me to, um, that book is on a shelf by itself. And if we're not opening that book and learning to listen to the whispers of the Holy Spirit through it, we are lost. Yeah. We are lost because everything else and all the knowledge and the learning can offer us no hope and no wisdom and no strategy um, in comparison to what the Holy Spirit can through the Word of God. So it's an amazing book. I, I do wonder if we need to get back to reading it in hard copy a bit more sometimes mm i don't think we get the same revelation and understanding reading it digitally i've been reading it digitally for a decade already okay. and just uh, in our family uh, i'm getting to a point again where no let's actually get it out mm-hmm. and actually the pages and we'll read a few verses each of something that yes. kind of thing is important too
0: but,
2: yeah yeah uh, it's uh, it, it is uh, truly i endorse the bible uh, it's a really good book it's impacted my life yeah.
0: with, with apps <laughs> like you version they help as well because you can be exercising mm. or doing I mean obviously as you say reading the the hard copy is the ultimate but sometimes just in your life I mean I go for a walk every oh, yeah. morning and I listen to the Bible through through the year so it's it's amazing to be able to do that now so we have no excuses as Christians to not be for opening not that book <laughs> yeah
2: yeah and if, and if things are going to be changing in the way church is structured, we're going to need Christians to arise again not just to be fed by a pastor in a big congregation but to be capable of opening a Bible and saying, let's look at what the Lord might say to us in a small group. So we are going to come into a season again, I think where the average Christian is going to need to have a competence and a confidence with the word of God himself. I think we had that better, as the church in New Zealand 50 years ago. I think we're coming to a season where we need to rediscover that. Yeah, that's
0: excellent. Thank you. That was awesome. excellent advice. Yeah. Um. And just, for, just to end out our time with you, is there anything you would like to share to whoever's listening today before you go.
2: Um discover and uh, yeah, seek out stories and tell stories. Let your heart become genuinely excited by the things that you see. Be amazed at a hand. Let yourself be amazed. Let yourself be amazed at a leaf on a tree that sucks water upward by osmosis, the diffusion of water through a semi-permeable membrane from high to low water concentration. Mm-hmm. Be amazed at this and and how that it works you know you cut a tree and sap comes out of it um if anyone's a hunter be amazed at the biology that you get to look at just like a doctor doing an autopsy just considering the organs of your body and how the smallest thing can go wrong just let yourself be amazed because uh, being amazed is the core to i think an authentic expression Um, be amazed at what god has done in your life remember the stories of what he's done in the past because we can only be interesting if we're interested. We can only be compelling if we are personally compelled. So rediscover what it is to be amazed. And then the whole idea of witness to others will become genuinely natural. Don't try to change them. Don't try to convert them. Just be authentic in your skin with what you think and tell the story. Uh, I think that's going to be the power of our witness into the next uh, number of years.
0: Amen. That was great. Amen. Thank you. I love that. It's that childlike quality we all need to have.
2: Yeah, right.
0: yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us um, this morning, Dave. It's been absolutely amazing and um, we really appreciate it. So all the best with everything that's going on um, with the Hope Project for Christmas. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time.
2: Thanks Michelle, thanks Ron. We really hope you enjoyed
1: this podcast. Uh, if you'd like to see more of that, please consider supporting us by going to support.thinkingmatters.org.nz. And while you're there, why not check out our other resources and upcoming events.